Welcome to Experts Only Podcast, sponsored by Clean Capital. You can learn more at cleancapital.com. I'm your host, John Powers. Each week, we explore the intersection of energy, innovation, and finance with leaders across the industry. Thank you so much for joining us. Welcome back to Experts Only Podcast. I'm your host, John Powers. Uh, today, we have a really fascinating conversation with the founder of Sutro Energy Group, Nicole Sistrom. Nicole has spent much of her career facilitating innovations to help us address the existential threat of climate change. She works with fascinating organizations like Prime Coalition, Energy Foundation. She comes from a background at Stanford and has been working closely with the Steyer and uh, Taylor Center for Energy Finance and Policy on focusing on investing in a new climate. Uh, we The dialogue is about what the investment community needs to do to think long-term about solving the climate crisis, as well as what has to happen in the philanthropic community as well. But really, there's an underlying theme here that Nicole points out, which I just want to make sure to amplify, is that you know we're, we're running out of time. We need action, and we need progress. Uh, and you know we are on the precipice of doing something really interesting to help solve this, but we need to act now. So uh, we're going to... We're going to hang some of her articles on the website so you can see them, but I hope you enjoy the conversation. Nicole, thanks so much for joining me on Experts Only. I'm so excited to be here, John. It's great to see you again. Yeah. So I want to talk a little bit about your your fascinating background and sort of what led you to do what you're doing today. As we were talking offline, you, you grew up in Chicago, moved to California for school. Have you always been interested in the environment? Well, I would say, so I grew up in a town on the shores of Lake Michigan. So, you know, always loved being outside, but I would say it was actually, as I was growing up, all of the kind of national parks that we traveled to, mostly Yosemite here in California, that really, I think, made me really sort of understand like the power and majesty of the planet and nature. That was really exciting. And then and then in college, I think is really where my whole interest in, you know, do, working on the planet and the environment as my life's work really kind of came into focus. That's amazing. Yeah. You went to Stanford. What did you study at Stanford? I was an earth systems major, which oh, is wow. a, an interdisciplinary program in environmental science and policy and economics. I was, well, I was, I would say I was a student who really, I really was interested in lots of different topics. So I, 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 part of the reason I wanted to go to Stanford was because they had, Stanford is lucky to let students take classes wherever they want to take them. But um, right. I, I didn't say, like, I didn't know about the Earth Systems major before. I just took the intro to Earth Systems class as a, uh, just to fulfill a general, like the science requirement, right? Right. In here. right. And I got in the class and I was like, oh my gosh, this is the coolest thing. This is amazing. Can I just take this class four times a semester for the rest of my um, time in college? And so I figured I should major in it. And it was awesome. (laughs) Yeah. And so we were were talking before you went, you ended up interning for basically the version of EPA within San Francisco. And it sounds like in that experience, you were doing both environmental stuff, but you were also engaging the business community. Was that a a plan you had or that just sort of happened to work out and it really sort of opened your eyes to the business side of it? Well, I think um, 
Well, one of the major benefits of the Earth Systems program was that, you know, I really it felt I felt like it really trained me to think about solving environmental problems from a very holistic perspective. Like you right. can't just you can't just look at the at the biology of like here's how a forest grows and what it needs to you know regenerate itself. You also have to consider that you know people are going to live near that forest and right. they're going to want to eat and. <laughs> right you know, we do get some things out of forests, which are good for society. And so, you know, I think from very early on in my academic career, there was definitely that seed planted of like, you know, don't just look at the geology or don't just look at, you know, don't preserve polar bears for the sake of preserving polar bears. Like what understand how humanity, how society interacts with the planet. And, you know, the business community is a huge part of that. So yeah. Huge part of it. Yeah. Yeah. Was there in, in that, as you're sort of moving throughout your career, was there a moment for you that, you know, went from the idea of the environment to climate change or climate change sort of what what sort of triggered your your interest in that? Cause I mean, we're talking sort of late 2000 first, decade of 2000s, transitioning into 2010. Yeah. yeah. So that was also in college. So my, I, you know, I would tell you my, my degree is in earth systems, but it was really, all my classes were about climate change. They're, oh, they're like their title. And then there would be like, yeah, subtitle climate change or right. a third of the class would be about how climate change affected whatever it was that the topic of the class was about. So you know, and that also was my, I graduated in 2006, which was the, like run up to an inconvenient truth coming out, which at that time was, you know, you know, you'll remember was like the height of public awareness about climate totally. change. So kind of, that's where I got, you know, I was like, mm, do I care more about this or do I care more about oceans or whatever? And and then I, you know, through college, just kind of came to the place that climate is the thing that affects all of those environmental issues and at the root of, of all of it. So decided that's where I wanted to spend my time. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, well, first of all, glad you're doing it, uh, because <laughs> it's critical for all of us. Yeah. So in that process, right, you started focusing on, on a variety of things career wise, you know, now you're really focusing on, and we'll talk about more of this later on, on investments and how folks are, you know, really moving capital into the space long-term, but you sort of, professionally grew up in and around Silicon Valley, right? Being where you live. Sure. And it's a place where, you know, people are taking bets on, uh, you know, how fast we can get downloads of an app so that, yeah. you know, they can quickly monetize this in two to three years. Yeah. Like what, you know, what for you was the the trigger point mentally to say, okay, how do we, because this is, this is not how clean energy works, right? We'll talk more about that later. Yeah. But, you know, that the idea that this more patient capital, this long-term investment strategy was really critical. Well, so, you know, I, I let me back up then a little bit. I, I would say I started my career in the nonprofit sector, working on policy, working on forest carbon offset policies that, you know, could basically create a revenue stream for forest owners Yeah, um, to keep their forest standing. Moved to a little company called TerraPass, where we were generating carbon offsets for sale. And part of the whole idea behind TerraPass was that we were going to get some laws passed that would make carbon offsets incredibly valuable. And 
that was when I, I mean, I remember the day at Terra Pass when Waxman Markey, the big climate bill of that era was being voted on. Yeah. And we, we literally projected C-SPAN on the wall <laughs> and like watch the vote as a company. And, and then of course, what happened next, like it didn't pass the other chamber of Congress. I can't remember. I guess it started in the Senate, right? And then it just didn't pass the House. No, yeah. it passed the House. It didn't pass the Senate. It was okay, that's uh, what it is. Yeah. Barry so, and yeah. Graham and those guys weren't able to get it done. They just couldn't get it past the Senate. And and that was a really, oh, how young and naive I was, like a really <laughs> devastating day for me. But, you know, I think what that did was it sort of sparked in me this idea that, I don't know, it, it pointed up to me the benefits of the private sector where you can be nimble, where you can move quickly, right. where if you have a good enough idea and enough people like it, you don't have to have a policy that's driving it. So that took me down a path of what do we, what can the private sector do? How do we make the case to business leaders that this is the right path to, to, to go down? So ended up going back to business school and doing research at business school on these topics. And, you know, after business school, focusing more broadly on bringing more resources into the space. And, you know, the more you get into it, the more you understand, I guess the other sort of atmospheric thing that was happening at the time was it was, you know, kind of 2010-ish, 2008 to 2010-ish was that, that was also the height of the sort of clean tech 1.0 venture capital investment wave, Right. right? Which was where Silicon Valley you know, thought, okay, we've got this internet thing all sewn up. We know what we're doing here. What else do we need to do now? Like green tech, it was called at the time, green tech, not clean tech. And so there was a lot of, I mean, TerraPass was venture invested, venture, um, it was a venture company, uh, venture investment. And so, you know, that wave was also sort of cresting as I was leaving business, you know, entering and going through business school where all of those venture investors were realizing that like, oh, we didn't really quite. I can't exit in three years from this? What's wrong? We thought, thought, you know, I thought this battery company would be just like an app. And although we didn't call them apps at the time, you know, it would be just like a software company. And surprise, they're not. And so that, you know, that, that really helps started me thinking about what are the other kinds of capital sources that are needed for clean energy companies and, and, and technologies. And, you know, what is the actual path to getting these, these technologies to growth and scale? Yeah. So what got you, so you started, um, you started your organization, Sutra Energy Group, and you sort of work with a variety of folks, right? You work with Prime and Energy Foundation. And yeah. can I talk a little bit about, about uh, the effort of, of Sutro and, and, you know, how you got started and some of the things. Before we get into the, the other conversation, I would love to hear more about the, uh, your efforts there. Yeah. So I would say I started Sutro after business school and it was never my intention to start it. I think I just... Uh, what does Sutro stand for, by the way? Oh, Sutro. No, so Sutro is a reference to I when I founded the company, I live in San Francisco and Sutro is, you know, just I was going to. Well, this is a funny story. I was going to name it the, the Shoots Energy Group. And my <laughs> boyfriend, now husband, looked at me and said, you really want to name it that? 
wink, wink. <laughs> so I was like, oh, oh, okay, I guess. Okay, I'll take the I hint. So, <laughs> so I named it Sutro instead, which is just, you know, Sutro is a, a kind of a San Francisco scion. Gotcha. And yeah. So that's really where the name came from. Just really as like, I needed to, I need to name this. Right. What's the name? <laughs> that's, I didn't really think much more about it than that. I, it, I got it started really after business school. You know, I I graduated off cycle because I did an extra degree in um, environment and resources. And so then I was kind of looking around, like I, I missed the recruiting piece that, you know, business school often kind of right. fell into. And just as I was taking a, you know, a little bit of a breath, I had friends and colleagues just kind of start to call me up and say, Hey, I have this project. Would you do this project for me? Like, I don't want to, there's this, there's this question I need to answer with respect to some aspect of our climate investment, Yeah, you know, work. And so I just started doing a bunch of essentially consulting projects and decided that I really liked it. And I, I really liked how I could have my hand in different areas and sort of learn a lot about what people were doing and the NGO community and the business community and think about philanthropy and investment. And um, so I just, I just kind of rolled with it. And I've been lucky to have lots of fun projects to work on all sort of aligned around bringing more resources yeah. to climate positive activities and companies. And yeah. yeah. I mean, you're working with some really incredible groups. I mean, you, I mean, you look at the, you know, whether it be series or energy foundation and prime and, and really the, some of the most forward leaning organizations thinking about this. So I do want to talk for a second about your, the, your recent article in the world economic forum. Okay. Uh, it was really interesting. And I think it's, you know, uh, first of all, I think there's often a conversation around energy. There's a lot of conversation around finance and climate and energy, mm-hmm. not always around climate as a whole. So mm-hmm. whether it be agribusiness, water, yeah. you know, I do like the way you sort of hit on a variety of different pieces there. We do focus heavily, obviously, here, here on energy. One of the things you talked about, sort of there's sort of two key requirements for sort of decarbonizing the economy by 2050. And I want to go into these a little bit. And one is the massive investment and in innovation in areas like electrification and long-term storage. And then of sure. course, investors who are patient enough to see this pay off. Yeah. Um, I think that, you know, that there's two different pieces there, right? There's, we talked a little bit earlier about the venture community, not looking at this as a, um, you know, traditional sort of short-term uh, ramp up and, and, and exit. And then two is like, who's investing in the long-term yeah. sort of actual assets that are building the foundation across the country. So let's, let's tackle the first one first. Okay. Are you, we've seen a progression with like the, the breakthrough effort with Gates and others. Like what, what else are you seeing in the venture community that gives you hope that there is capital moving into that long-term sort of patient structure around venture? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think one thing, well, just like a foundational thing that gives me hope is I think people have their eyes open now about what it takes to build and grow these companies. And so that's, you know, that's good. I I think the pendulum, I mean, we can talk about this more if it's interesting to you. I think like when I think about green tech 1.0, everyone thought that, you know, we can, these investments will exit just as fast as software companies. And in fact, like we, 
we are investing in companies that will are relying on policy that we are we are going to get a carbon tax passed and then like right. boom, this company is going to be a rocket ship um and then of course those policies didn't get passed and then we had this like huge backlash don't invest in anything related to policy right. like don't even talk right. to me about policy if you pitch me if your pitch has anything about policy in it like done it's in the pile right, right. um i think we're now the pendulum has sort of swung back to an understanding that policy is important and, and starting and companies, you know, I don't think any, any company wants to put forth a business plan that is like entirely dependent on some policy occurring somewhere, but you know, you need to be able to take advantage of policy. And I think investors are starting to understand that. Um, I think we're in a better place with respect to, to, to that. Um, yeah, I mean, there's a strategic advantage if you understand policy, and especially now that it's such a state-level game, if you can figure out where the yes. markets are going to develop ahead of time, you're 100% right. And yes. So key, so think, key to our market. And I think, um, well, just as a side note, I think one of the issues now is that my hypothesis, and I wonder how, what you think about this and the kind of projects you work with is, we, we now have a generation of entrepreneurs though, that have been trained to not think about policy. So it's yeah. like everyone's sort of like relearning or needs right. to relearn or re-engage. Um, so I think there's a whole, whole, uh, you know, whole yeah. kind of area of training that we need to ramp back up for entrepreneurs, but that's sort of a side note. Um, no, I a hundred percent agree with you. And I feel like you often also though have entrepreneurs that are coming from maybe an engineering background, right. Or, uh, yeah. you know, a pure finance background where they're looking at, the, the markets, but not looking at, you know, how do you get some of the blocking and tackling done to make sure yeah. your, uh, the framework is right for you can actually build a project in a place. Yeah. Like yeah. 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 No, for sure. Just when we raised, by the way, I think you'll appreciate this. When we were raising, uh, our series a clean capital was going out and we, you know, we sort of positioned ourselves as a FinTech company yeah. and we had trouble getting traction in the clean energy venture space. Oh, wow. Um, they were really pushing us to do more, for instance, on crowdfunding when we were talking to fintech investors and we ended up getting a whole series of fintech investors into our series A, they just saw a new asset class. Like, oh, we don't know anything about solar. Can you tell us about how this works? And once we educated them on what PPA was, they're like, oh, this is awesome. And we didn't really have any clean tech investors in our, or very few in our series A. Uh, We haven't raised since then, but they, uh, we only had basically fintech players who came in. Well, I guess that, that's another thing that gives, I guess I would say that's another thing that gives me hope is like people are seeing how, you know, climate is more than just one thing and, and right. there's more, way more, there's so many solutions that we need to address it. Like we can build, we can, we can develop all the great technology we want, but if we don't have the right financial instruments to, you know, deploy that technology or yeah. manufacture it, uh, you know, who cares? Um, so I'd say that's another thing. Another thing is, you know, you mentioned breakthrough. Um, there have been a bunch of more, uh, a bunch more funds raised that are entering the space. And I, they're, you know, my, my view is that they're mostly in the growth stage. So there's still, a, a there's still a challenge at the very early part of the, you know, kind of first steps out of the lab. Yeah. part of the innovation um, spectrum, but um, there are many more funds out there, which is great. And I think we've also, the other thing 
which I think is, is adding to that, which is hopeful is, you know, we've got some, you know, we've got like Tesla now, which shows that you can build a great big fat, right. sexy company that is good for the environment. Right. So, right, right. you know, those, those are all good things. I also think just going further down this kind of financial innovation path, there are, there is more kind of growth venture money, but I also think there's recognition now that companies, clean tech companies often need different kinds of capital in addition right. to venture, right? They need project development, you know, or project, project development finance and, um, or just other, you know, other kinds of investment capital to uh, get companies, you know, into first deployments, first projects, first plants. And then, I mean, you, you know, this is, you guys are a part of this revolution, but you know, how did, once you get to the point of, you know, your technology is mature enough, like how do you just kind of get that technology out the door and, and, and being able to have a pool of capital so that you can, you know, a homeowner can finance solar on their roof without having to put 30 K down. Right. right? Like, right. Great. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think we, we really, I think the idea for us is like, it's that next, it's sort of the, I wish to refer as deployment capital, right? It's like getting the, that the more we can get the cost of capital down to get yeah. these projects in the ground. And yeah. the more we have the long-term mentality that I think 2008, 2010, 2012, people didn't know what a power purchase agreement was. They couldn't spell PPA. <laughs> yeah. They didn't know if solar panels lasted 20 years, like they talked about. But now you have this massive corporate demand yeah, all calling for projects and people committed with good credit to, to pull, the, pull, the, pull the power. You know, it's interesting to see the divest movement that's happened along the long-term institutional investors. Yeah. And I think we're just at the precipice of the invest movement where they're yeah. starting to now put their money where their mouth is yeah. in terms of putting the, putting the capital to work. Um, yeah. I also think just on the corporate note that there's definitely more interest among the big industrial corporate players to engage with earlier stage yeah. technology because, you know, again, this isn't like an app where you put it on the app store and a bazillion consumers download it or pay you 30 bucks a month or like whatever yeah. it is. Like many of these technologies the ultimate end, you know, the ultimate buyer is a corporation, right? Either of the technology or, or the, or the way that the technology can most effectively scale is by acquisition or, you know, <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, having, having a generation of, of entrepreneurs and innovators who are skilled in interacting with large corporations, I think is also, we're starting to see that happen as well, which is great. Let me pivot for a second to uh, another awesome article we wrote that focused on philanthropy. Yep. Because there's been, I mean, especially now where, you know, we're, we are both uh, doing this interview while somewhat sequestered in our house because of COVID, right? And <laughs> it's, it's just an interesting time, right? And, and as people are thinking through, you know, how they're going to be uh, investing their philanthropic dollars, like what has to change there? Uh, and we could take it out of just energy for a second, but to yeah. really drive the climate solutions we need, yes. So that in 2030 and 2050, you know, we're we're looking back and and seeing this as a decade of growth. And, and, yes. Um, answers. Well, a lot of people look to philanthropy as sort of like 
philanthropy will fix this. Philanthropy will fill this gap. And and when I say a lot of people, what I mean is people outside of philanthropy, right? Like right. I can't tell you how many <laughs> how many uh, conversations I've been in where you know I've been in a room and it's like a bunch of investors or like maybe it's some investors and corporate folks and they're like, oh, we have this big gap here and no one wants to pay for it. What do you think about philanthropy, Nicole? Could philanthropy? <laughs> <laughs> throw the money there. <laughs> well, um, you know. That being said, you know, there's not, philanthropy is a, is a, is a precious resource. And I think smart philanthropists want to be sure that what they are investing in, especially when it comes to climate is an area that gets them a lot of leverage, right? Right. A lot of bang for their buck. And so to date, most of climate philanthropy has been focused on policy, uh, which is great and wonderful. Yeah. And a very smart. And when you say that you're sort of advocating and trying to drive change to policy. Yeah. So, you know, like energy foundation. Uh, yeah. Like energy foundation is a great vehicle, a great example of this, um, you know, providing all of the technical support and analysis so that the right kind of policies are designed and eventually get passed. Right. Right. As a way to level the market, level, level the playing field, like, develop markets for, um, you know, we've already talked about policy and its effect on innovation and this conversation a couple of times. So, um, that's great and wonderful. And we absolutely a hundred percent need it and everyone should go vote. Please vote, (laughs) vote at the federal level, vote at the state level. If you care about climate, make it a voting issue. Um, but philanthropy is, is a unique, you know, I think we, we also, as from now speaking from the philanthropic world, like we also have to face the fact that all of the wonderful work that climate philanthropy has done in the past, you know, 20 years, which has had a very, very large impact on our world trajectory for sure. Right. It's not enough. We're not getting there fast enough. So what then as philanthropists, can we do, how can we be more creative what new things can we try and how can we, I, I don't know, we need to, I think we need to acknowledge the fact that like policy is just, it's not enough on its own. It's so right. important and it's not enough. Right. And especially when it can be completely undercut by a new president. Yeah. When it can be completely undercut <laughs> by a new president or, um, it, you know, it's, it's also just, the other thing I think about a lot with climate these days is like, we're just like we're kind of running out of time here. Like we can't wait 15 years to get right. it right. We just have to start doing it. And I think one of the things that is really wonderful about philanthropy is that it is a pile of capital that the whole goal of it is to achieve some societal benefit, like some societal impact. Right. Right. And, um, when it comes to climate, you can give that money away as grants, or you can start to ask yourself, are there ways that we can inject philanthropy into the capital market system in ways that kind of juice things up and 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 bring other sources of capital to the table? Like I loved your story about how, you know, your your first round was mostly fintech funders. It wasn't climate funders or or I guess clean tech funders at the time. Like, can we use philanthropy in smart ways in kind of tiny amounts 
but in ways that uh, make an investment or a project or a program, you know, demonstrate the, its worthiness for mainstream investors to come along behind the philanthropists and kind of grow it to scale. And, and I would go even a little bit further there. You know, most philanthropists kind of have this wall between what's the program money, like what's the grant charity money, right? right. And what is the investment capital that foundations, donor advised funds, like are growing to provide that, you know, that that charity money to give away. Yeah. Um, I think there's been, there's philanthropy is going through this really interesting moment where people are really starting to look at, Oh, we only give away 5% of our money every year. Like this other 95% is sitting there. Like, what is that doing? Like, it's right. like, you know, <laughs> if, like if we're invested in oil and gas markets and our portfolio and like the profits from that is what we're using to give away to charity. Like that's right. the, <laughs> sort of, you know, uh, not productive. So I, right. you know, I really, I'm really excited, but to see so many philanthropists really kind of start to think that through. And like, at the end of the day, all of that money, both the investment capital and the grant capital is supposed to have an impact. Right. It's, it's tagged for impact. It will go to impact eventually. And, and so what can philanthropists do today to actually start making sure that that's all working towards the ultimate climate goal we want right now, instead of, you know, in the future sometime. Yeah, no, it's, it's fascinating. And I feel like it's, um, I love the fact that you sort of framed it up as we're running out of time and, and really thinking through getting some of these next tier solutions at the table so that it won't need philanthropic dollars or impact dollars, right? It just becomes yeah. an asset that people are investing in because it makes sense it's like exactly. insurance companies looking at climate as a risk issue, right? Exactly. They've yeah. known it for 10 years. They've seen it coming. They've been addressing yeah. it. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Nicole, this is fantastic. Listen, I really, it's uh, been an awesome conversation. I love the the work you're doing and want to find ways to help uh, elevate it because it's so important to the dialogue that we're, uh, we're having right now as a country. If you could go back to yourself in Chicago before you headed out to Stanford, and could sit down or maybe when you're graduating Stanford and could have a, have a beer or a coffee when you're in high school with yourself, <laughs> what, what, what piece of advice would you give yourself? Well, I, I think probably the main piece of advice I give yourself, give myself is that life is long. Like this is not a, we're not fixing this problem in like five years. Like it's yeah. not like a college career, right. Where you like, then you, after four years, you graduate and you get your big right. like, shiny star <laughs> that you like did it, that these are, you know, climate is so much bigger an issue than you think it is right now. And yeah, um, I mean, one thing we didn't even really get to talk about in this conversation so far is, you know, I would say I started being passionate about climate change from the perspective of oh, I love the mountains and I love the oceans and whales and polar bears and happiness, yeah. you know? <laughs> we have, like, this frog deserves to live its life, right? And and, and I've really, in the past, ten, you know, five, ten years, really transitioned to the, just <laughs> to the belief that, like, climate change is like, yeah, it's great, I, I love the planet, but this is about people and our safety, yeah. And, um, you know, I've got young kids now 
we're already seeing massive amounts of people displaced from climate related. Yes. You know, disasters, influences. It's hard to tie anything specifically to climate, but when you kind of zoom out, you're like, well, what else, what's, what else, what other explanation could there be? Right. And, and so I guess that the advice I would give myself is like, uh, you gotta, you gotta figure out or just be, be aware that this is a lifelong project yeah, and you've got to figure out how to engage in it in a way that is sustainable for you so that you're yeah. not, <laughs> it's good advice. You know, like, <laughs> I think about, it's so funny to me. We talk about that day, the Waxman Markey bill boat day. And I, I remember being so devastated after the bill didn't pass the Senate. And yeah. I, you know, I mean, at that point, John, like it was early in my career, there had, there were people that have been working on climate change for like 20 years. And the, so the fact that the Waxman Markey even passed the house was like the big, huge apex. Yeah commit like <laughs> achievement of their climate careers. And just so I, you know, the advice I would give myself, would be just like, you know, you're 22 and you have no perspective, like try and have some perspective. <laughs> no, that's good. It's so funny. You keep talking about that moment. Cause I actually didn't get into climate until literally that moment. I mm-hmm. was, had been in the military yeah. and then had started to write on climate change and national security, had a piece and Huffington Post that was read by someone in the Senate. And I ended up testifying to the Senate right prior to that vote on the national security implications of climate change. And that was the trajectory that launched the rest of my focus. Wow. Wow. Uh, but also seeing that fail for me was just this unbelievably enlightening moment where I, I watched, you know, moderate sort of blue dog Democrats who'd voted for climate getting crushed by mm-hmm. the oil companies politically yeah. And realizing that we didn't have an infrastructure as a movement yet yeah. to really start to fight back against the status quo. Yeah. And hopefully that's changing. And, you know, I've been working to do more around that. I serve on the board of EDF and some other places trying to drive some of that change. But it's just so critical for us to act as a, you know, a grown up institution now. Not, you know, we're not just hoping to get this done, but we've got to be able to battle the status quo each yeah. every day. So, yeah, 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 yeah. Nicole, thank you so much. This has been awesome. Love the work you're doing. And I want to just thank your team for the, the, the effort they put in helping to put this together. Melanie and Victoria, thank you so much for, for that. And our, our producers, Courtney Flynn and, and Carly Batten. Uh, for all those listening, you can get more episodes at cleancapital.com. And we'll make sure we hang Nicole's articles um, so you can access them uh, and, and see some of the great stuff she's putting out. So thank you so much. Oh, thank you. It was really, really fun. Great to talk to you. Thanks for listening in today's conversation. Find more episodes on cleancapital.com, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you like what you hear, be sure to subscribe and leave us a five-star review. We look forward to continuing our conversation on energy, innovation, and finance with you.